Hello and welcome to episode 1911 of Impactively Wild, a Fangraphs baseball podcast brought to you by our Patreon supporters. I'm Meg Rowley of Fangraphs and I am joined as always by Ben Lindbergh of The Ringer. Ben, how are you? I am gobsmacked. <gasps> Not by the fact that the Mariners and the Phillies qualified for the playoffs, oh. although that was gobsmacking also, but the Atlanta Braves just sacrificed Bunted. They sure did. Yeah, just yeah. before we started recording. Glad this happened first, just yeah. so we weren't immediately obsolete after we finished thing <laughs> and the big sack bunt Braves news broke. So right. Michael Harris II snapped the streak in game 161 with the Braves' first sack bunt of the season. And I guess it didn't work. Sack bunts don't pay, it looks like. I'm looking at this now. Top of the fourth, William Contreras led off with a single. Well, then RCS singled after him, and then Harris II came up, sack bunt to third, got thrown out, runners to second and third, Robbie Grossman struck out swinging, Braxton Garrett intentionally walked Ronald Acuna Jr., and then Dansby Swanson called out on strikes, left the bases loaded. Wow. So the sack bunt immediately backfired. Wow. Wow. I thought they were going to make it. They made it so far. They were so close. I I was kind of looking forward to maybe they would drop one down in the playoffs because it's October and you play by a different script and everything. But no, they didn't even quite make it to the playoffs. I'm I'm sort of uh, surprised. Like you make it that far. Might as well go for it. And semi disappointed in that it was sort of a a sign of the times. Yeah. They're very much a, a contemporary offense and you take away pitcher hitting and you insert some sabermetrics and now no one sack bunts anymore and the Braves really they were going to do it. I heard Brian Snitker, their manager, asked about it at some point earlier this year. We mentioned this months ago on the podcast. I forget when. And he was asked about it and he said there is no mandate not to do it, that he wasn't intentionally trying not to do it. They just weren't really built to do it. And and they had had a few sack bunt attempts here and there throughout the season. So it wasn't as if they hadn't tried this before, but it just hadn't worked. And now it worked, except it didn't work. (laughs) So end of a short era. Yeah, they don't try to bunt much at all. Like, they don't try to sack bunt, and they don't try to bunt for hits. They're just, like, not a team that really does much in the way of bunting. Mm-hmm. But, you know, look, when you're trying to secure the East, you yep. got to pull out a bunch of different tricks, and some of them <laughs> might be familiar. So yeah. here we are. I say play the way that got you there. They got this far, <laughs> not sack bunting. Don't abandon their tactics now. But it's true, there is still something at stake yeah. in theory there. But we have a playoff field. Yeah, the playoff we field do. is set, not all of the seating and the ordering and, and who's playing whom, but we know the twelve teams. They're we all do. in. And the others are all out. Yep. So we're going to bring on our buddy Jordan Schusterman of Sespa's Family Barbecue soon to talk about the Mariners mostly because Jordan was at the big game. Jordan yeah. was at the, the clinching game. He saw Cal Raleigh hit the pinch hit walk-off homer to end the drought and send the Mariners back to the playoffs, which was a big moment for him as a Mariners fan. Huge moment for you as Mariners fan. Yeah. So we're going to discuss all of that. Do you have any additional 
Mariner's thoughts that will come before your later Mariner's thoughts that you have already shared, but people haven't heard yet? Oh, Ben, you're so generous because before we got on, you know, here's a little behind the scenes uh, insight. We recorded our interview with Jordan before we recorded this yes. intro. So we've we've had our conversation. It's delightful. I think you'll all enjoy it. And then we get on to record this intro and I immediately was like, I have more thoughts about the Mariner's and I didn't say them. Yep, get them all out. Well, I just, you know, as uh, we were rolling into that game on Friday as it was approaching and we were getting closer like I had you know I just had cause to reflect on the random circumstances of my life that have been buffeted about by that stupid baseball (laughs) team (laughs) you know because you know I know I have my moments of being grumpy but I'd like to think that I'm a generally optimistic person and my life probably could have taken a lot of different paths and I want to think that I'd be reasonably happy in all of them but but I sure like this one that I have, you know, and there are mm-hmm. some people in my life who I like genuinely love and are very important to me who I have met through baseball generally, some of them through the Mariners specifically, but but some through baseball sort of more amorphously. And I'm aware of how this particular interest unfolding in this particular way led me to certain big life decisions like a an eventual career and moves to different parts of the country and what have you. And, you know, I'll be again, optimistic and say that like the people I would have met in the alternate versions of my life, you know, maybe they would have been as good, but I, I struggle to think they would have been better. So I am just uh, very grateful for the life I have. And I'm aware that one of the, bits of luck and good fortune that I was buffeted about by was this, again, stupid baseball team (laughs) that was so bad, Ben, for so long. Mm -hmm. You know, at times, like, embarrassingly bad, sometimes bad in just, like, a boring way. Right. Mostly bad in a boring way, I guess, right? Like, they they never bottomed out. Not that it's, like, that much consolation because they went so long without making the playoffs, but, like, they didn't get... Astros and Orioles bad. I I know that's extreme, but But they were still at times pretty bad. Oh yeah. 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 (laughs) Don't want to discount their badness. Just it could have been worse, but not really. I mean, in one way it could have been worse. It could have been an even worse not making the playoffs baseball team. (laughs) Right. So, you know, it's just funny how life works out. So I was thinking about that as I was preparing to watch them on Friday. Like, you know, that was the first opportunity that they really had to clinch and then Baltimore won their game Mm -hmm. and it was like if they're going to do it today they're going to have to do it themselves and I found that very gratifying you know that they clinched their playoff spot not because they got an update in you know the, the in batting practice that the Orioles had lost but because they won and won in dramatic fashion and that felt very cool and good and so anyway i just think uh baseball's great there's other stuff that's good too but for me you know there aren't many things that are better and so i'm glad that i have it and i'm glad that uh seattle will get to experience even if at first at a distance playoff baseball and i hope they have the opportunity to to play some games at home because i think that would be a, a great treat for the folks who live there so yeah well, I'm glad the Mariners brought you in a roundabout way to Fangraphs and to this yeah. podcast, and all of our listeners can be grateful for that. And congrats to the Mariners fans and the Phillies fans and the Mariners and the Phillies themselves yeah. for snapping their respective dry spells. And also, by the way, 
shout out to the Orioles, too, because the Orioles had to lose so that the Mariners could win. (laughs) Someone had to lose so that the Mariners could get in there. But they had quite a run and they they had a historic season of their own. ESPN Stats and Info tweeted when they won their 81st game. They have since clinched a winning season. They have a winning season now, but they joined the 1899 St. Louis Perfectos and the 1890 Louisville Colonels as the only teams to finish 500 or better in a season after recording 110 losses in the prior season. That's a big step. By the way, how do you think the the St. Louis Perfectos of 1898 felt when they were losing all those games? (laughs) What a name for that team. (laughs) Perfectos. I mean, look, we've had to abandon a lot of old names because some of them were pretty racist. But but we should have more things called the Perfectos just to add stakes, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the 1898. So I guess in 1898, they were the Browns when they went 39 and 11 oh. and 4. So that's that's probably convenient because <laughs> in 1899, they went 84 and 67 and 4. And then they were the Perfectos, which they probably felt almost perfect after going yeah. 39, 111 and a 4. I bet they but did. anyway, better that they were not named the Perfectos yeah. while they were losing all those games. So. The Orioles, they've made really massive strides. They were a fun team. They were an exciting team. They called up multiple top prospects in baseball during the season, and they played really well. So you got your glimpses at Henderson and Rutschman, and more than glimpses, they were great. Rutschman was outstanding. And next year, you get Grayson Rodriguez, hopefully a healthy Rodriguez, and You have other cornerstones and building blocks that are in place or, or coming along. Like, it's a tough assignment. It's the AL East. It's not going to get a whole lot easier in the short term, but there's something brewing there. And they were, for the first time in a long time, a respectable and entertaining baseball team. So kudos to the players for, for making that happen. And the front office, uh, they took an extreme Astros-style path to this, but I guess at least thus far, maybe on a slightly slower timeline, I don't know. They're following a, an Astros-esque trajectory, or at least Orioles fans could extrapolate and, and hope that that's the case without some of the nefarious aspects of, of yeah. the Astros. But you could kind of comp it, I guess, to like the 2015 Astros who won 86 games, and they did win a wild card and got into the playoffs, and the Orioles did not, but kind of comparable, except that those Astros went through sort of an intermediate stage where they went from losing 111 in 2013 to losing 92 in 2014, and then they were a winning team, whereas these Orioles just sort of skipped the 2014 model and went from really terrible to winning team. But even even better, I guess, even more exciting that that happened in one season when it finally happened. Anyway, nice that when we're talking about previewing next season, it won't be, oh, we're going to talk about the Orioles last and it'll be kind of sad and depressing. There will be a lot of optimism surrounding that team heading into next year. Yeah, I think that that, you know, for their fans to get to watch a winning team is really exciting for them to have gotten to see the guys they have is really exciting. I think that we can, you know, quibble with some of the approaches, even in this season that their front office has taken. You know, there is a lot of 
Houston DNA there, but yes. I I think it's it's pretty exciting. It's so funny that we we're like, how do you feel? I'm like, I didn't really do anything except like cry and get excited <laughs> about the Mariners. <laughs> I didn't help them. They <laughs> they did it all on their own. But we're excited for fans because that's like a more realistic intermediary for us than than the players themselves, I guess. But yeah, it's it was in some ways a very predictable and boring season of baseball. But there were some surprises, and I think it's good for the sport to be like, it's good for the sport to be done with two really long playoff droughts. Like, it's good for the sport for the Orioles to be emerging. They're not, you know, the only, it's not like there won't be any teams that aren't trying after the Orioles are like, we're here and we would like to win now, please. But it's good to to have that stuff happen because, you know, otherwise we just have to watch the Astros and the Dodgers all the time. Who wants that? <laughs> yeah, when people talk about this was a good season, this was a bad season, I, I always have a hard time gauging, at least in the moment. And, and even in retrospect, it's hard to, for me to look back and say, that was a good season. This was not a good season. Like there are certain seasons that have something more memorable and historic or they end in a more exciting way. But it's such a big concept of of a baseball season there are so many teams and there are so many players and like i can't get my arms around it and sort of sum it up or distill it down to this was a good season this was a bad season like this was a less exciting season in some respects with the standings and the playoff race at the end here and, and for part of the season but then you had really exciting individual seasons that at least for me made up for that excitement and you had Judge and you had Pujols and you had Otani and you had a lot of really exciting rookies so every season contains multitudes it's hard yeah. for me to say like this one was better than that one there's just there's so much baseball every yeah. year I'm sated no matter what no matter how it ends really so yeah you know if we could talk about a, a tv season being better than another tv season but a baseball season and playoffs i think you can say some playoffs are better just because some years you'll go to the yes. maximum number of games and it'll just be like in terms of leverage and championship win probability swings and all of that you can kind of quantify it and it'll reflect your feelings that there were more heroics or more suspense or just more sustained series but right. everything that is the the and the prelude to that there's just so much of it so i'm happy to have it and i can't declare it good or bad by baseball standards necessarily yeah it is baseball and you know i think it's worth us remembering on this the day before the last day of the regular season we got 162 games ben yeah that was that, nice too that was not a given mm-hmm. not at <laughs> earlier all. this year that was far from certain so you know, sometimes you're just grateful that, like, you get to show up 162 mm-hmm. times. I think we've been the, like, comfort and and joy of that regularity has been impressed upon us in a lot of unfortunate contexts in the last couple of years. So isn't that nice? So we got, yeah. I think we got 162. Yeah. And I kind of am, am bullish on the playoff field, too. I, I I don't say a lot of nice things about the expanded playoff format, although now that this has happened, I would hate to take away a playoff spot from Mariners fans or Phillies fans, whoever ends up being the last wild cards there. But I kind of like the lineup of teams that we have, and and maybe it's almost inevitable that with 12 teams, you're going to find someone to root for and some Cinderella stories and underdog stories like 
there's just a bigger field to choose from. So if you're a neutral fan looking to hop on the bandwagon for a month, like there are a lot of storylines, a lot of rooting interests. And of course, some of those teams won't last long and each individual team has less of a chance than they would have under previous playoff formats if they'd made it. But you kind of have a bit of the best of both worlds. Like you have the Mariners and you have the Phillies who are snapping their own long drought. And of course, the Mariners never having won a World Series, never having been to a World Series. And then you have other teams that haven't won one either in a long time or or ever, right? So you have the Rays, you have, of course, the Guardians, who as long as their championship drought endures, pretty easy to pull for them whenever they're in the postseason. You have the Blue Jays, Canada's team, a fun team. They haven't won one in a few decades. So you have a, a lot of teams here that haven't won one. And then you also have teams that are kind of the the perennial teams that are always there. By the way, the Padres too. I didn't mention the Padres. Yeah. The Padres, the Rays, the, the Mariners. Like There are a lot of teams that are looking to get off the schneid here, get on the board championship-wise. And then you have the teams that are there every year, which I think it's kind of a nice mix to have some surprise teams and some perennial yeah. winners and teams that people love to hate, right? So you have your Yankees and Dodgers behemoths and you have the Cardinals. Yes, the Cardinals are there again and the Astros are there again. So you have kind of that continuity of, oh, they made it again and we're used to seeing them and maybe we're sick of seeing them and maybe people will root against them because they're hogging all the playoff spots. And so it sets up some interesting rivalries and and underdog storylines and Then you have the Mets being back in the playoffs. You have the defending champions making another run. Like, there's a a lot of exciting storylines, which I guess is inevitable. Like, it would be hard to have 12 playoff teams and be like, yawn, shrug. Like, there's nothing that interests me here. But that is, I suppose, the upside in that I can look at these teams. And, you know, like, if we were back in the pre-expanded playoffs era when it was just like the best team in each league makes it and it's the Dodgers versus the Astros in the World Series or something. Maybe those teams wouldn't have those histories that they do now, but like that's how it used to work and, and that had some upsides and that had a lot of downsides too. I mean, I think that there's a happy medium maybe between two and 12, but still there's a lot that I'm pretty excited for on the eve of the playoffs. Well, Ben, Speaking of Yankees behemoths, guess what happened? 62? He did hit 62. 62! And I wasn't watching because I was recording a podcast and I wasn't watching. Yeah, in the the nightcap of their Uh doubleheader against the Texas Rangers, first inning. All right. Has hit 62. So Aaron Judge is the new American League home run record holder. Awesome. I'm and glad now it we happened. can, yeah. And now we can talk about other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really am happy that it happened, though, just because uh, it would have been a bit of a down note to end on. Like, obviously, taking nothing away from his season if he had hit sixty-one yeah. instead of sixty-two, and you will hear us joke about that with Jordan later in the episode, which was recorded before the sixty-second homer. But hardly makes any difference to how valuable and impressive his season was. But I'm glad that he ended it that way. And and really, like it, it adds a little intrigue and suspense that he did it on the second to last day of the yeah. season, right? Like that there was actually some doubt there at the end that he would get pitches to hit and that he would hit them. So we don't get the, the anticlimax of just talking about this for days and weeks and months and then yeah. just 
another tie. <laughs> like it's it's great that he got over the hump and got over the finish line. So this is fun. Like this was one of the most entertaining running stories of the entire season too. Yeah. So I'm glad that it came to fruition. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. It is good to have the resolution. I mean, I guess if we had really wanted the drama to stretch, you could have last I day. Mean, yeah. Judge, you could have done it tomorrow. Like, mm-hmm. what were you thinking? <laughs> but I also think that this is just a good moment for us to take a brief live stats full season stat break, assuming <laughs> that the website will load. Oh, there it did. So would you like to know Aaron Judge's updated line? Sure. 311, 425, 687. He has a 208 WRC plus the aforementioned 62 home runs. He is, by our version of war, worth 11 and a half wins in the 2020 season. <laughs> That's a lot of wins. It's a lot of wins, Ben. It's just so many. It's just like really quite a lot of them, you know? Mm-hmm. Like- the gap between him and the next two guys, both of whom are in the, the National League, I will point out. So, like, Nolan Arenado and Manny Machado are currently parked at 7.2. <laughs> like, what? Excuse you? What are, what are we? Excuse mm-hmm. you? That's, yep. that's a, you know, that's like a, that's a gap now. Now, I don't want to disrespect Otani, so I will note that that is just the hitter leaderboard. If we scooch over to the combined war leaderboard, Otani slides in there at 9.3 wins when we account for both his, his pitching yeah. and hitting. So don't- not too shabby. Don't worry, and, Ben. And I'm he's going to go on the last day of the season. One last uh, two-way Otani day for all of us. One last. Just, mm-hmm. you know, for the year, though. You don't have to make it sound ominous. Yes. So, Jesus Tinoco. Was the man who surrendered yeah. number 62. Well, Sorry, Jesus. Condolences, Jesus. It had to be someone. Or yep. I guess it didn't, but you pitched but, to him, presumably. I still yeah. have not seen the home run, but I assume it was a strike. So <laughs> congrats to Jesus. You should be saluted, Mr. Tinoco, for uh, serving up a hittable pitch, presumably. Presumably. <laughs> yes. So that's exciting. So we've had a, a lot of excitement given the fact that we already said that there was not a lot of excitement this season, (laughs) but (laughs) just adjusted for that, there has been a a fair bit of excitement just in the past few days because, you know, we did get Atlanta overtaking the Mets in quite a striking weekend series. And as we record, at least, the NL East is still not decided. That may have changed by the time you are hearing this, but... They're really dragging it out to the end here. It's been raining in New York. That has delayed some games. But as we speak, Atlanta's magic number is one. And it is quite likely that they will be winning that division because they swept the Mets. Yeah. And they did it the hard way. They beat Scherzer. They beat DeGrom. They beat Bassett. The Mets had basically their playoff rotation lined up. And the Braves took all three in that series, and not only did they sweep, but they got the season series and the tie break, and that was that. I mean, it's not officially done as we speak, but that is most likely that, and really... The worst scenario for the Mets is that they hang on till the last day of the season and they have to use DeGrom, right, Right. and and might still not come back anyway and then have burned their best pitcher when the wild card round starts. So, again, as we've said, like, it's a great comeback by the Braves more so than it's any kind of collapse by the Mets. The Braves have just been as good good. as 
any team in baseball. Yep. You can date it to whatever arbitrary starting point you want or not even arbitrary. You could date it to when Michael Harris II showed up, as a lot yep. of people do, or before that, Acuna coming along, even if he hasn't been the full Acuna experience, helps to have him. So I think that they are scary heading into the playoffs, yeah. just about as scary, really. I mean, they've gone win for win, basically, with the Dodgers and the Astros since a long time ago, and they overtook the Mets. The Mets yeah. did not give up the division. The Mets continued to play well, too. They are a good team. They're also a scary playoff team, but the Braves were just better. They just won more games, and they came from behind. So that was a, a bit of excitement there because, you know, there were real stakes there, not as much as if getting in or not being in was at stake, but winning the division, getting that by that's that's pretty significant and, and just getting a an easier path to the World Series, presumably, if they make it that far. So that was something to watch and be excited about, unless you're a Mets fan in the yeah. final weekend of the series. Yeah, it's good to have it it coming down to the end. I will continue to lament the loss of tiebreaker games because those yes. were fun. But mm-hmm. it's good to have, you know, something moving you as mm-hmm. it comes down to it. I mean, some of us Ben would, for the sake of uh, ease and logistics, prefer a completely set field so that we can start (laughs) bother staff members for their predictions, but I will recognize that the population of people to whom that applies is very small and (laughs) should not be uh, decisive here. You know, I'm fine with, in this particular instance, my vote not counting because I think it's it's a very particular one. You know, I'm a single issue voter when it comes to these sorts of things so right yeah not entirely single you also wanted the mariners to make the playoffs and i did i did <laughs> that. you had other reasons for yeah that. but see like the mariners perfect angels that they are they got that business out of the way on friday they were like mm-hmm. look meg wants to know so we will help her now yeah could the rest of the american league field and the mariners decide which amongst them will be going to cleveland versus <laughs> toronto you know you could resolve that uh, that would be great if you if you could sort that out give a little time to have everyone noodle on their predictions you know that would be that'd be fine but i think the most important thing is that we get you know an exciting blend of teams and so i will sacrifice sleep it won't be the last time did you know there's only one scheduled off day on a weekend during october wow (laughs) yeah it's gonna be a bit compressed yeah how about that uh, i kind of like in terms of playoff play styles and and how you have to structure your roster and Mm -hmm. how it maybe mirrors the the regular season more so than just building tons of off days and letting certain teams take advantage of that more. Maybe we can talk a little later in the week about which teams just look like good playoff teams, whatever that means to the extent that we can even tell what a a good playoff team is. It's uh, pretty hard to predict that sort of thing beyond just saying it's a good team. They win a lot of games, probably a good playoff team too. But that would be of interest to me. So a couple of quick things. John Birdie got his 40th stolen base. Oh, thank so, God. So, yeah, that was a big race. That was a big source of suspense for everyone I know. Was this going to be the first season since 1958 not to have someone steal 40? And as it turns out, no, because the Marlins' John Birdie swiped his 40th bag. So thanks to John Birdie. And I read a couple reports from Ken Rosenthal and I believe Bob Nightingale also that the Astros are considering possibly a leadership change. And by yeah. the Astros, I mean Astros owner Jim Crane, which 
boggles my mind. Yeah. I guess not that that would cross his mind, but that that could actually happen if yeah. it could. Because the Astros, I mean, they've handed that team over to James Click running baseball operations and Dusty Baker running things on the field and really could not have done a better job taking over under somewhat difficult circumstances. Yeah. I mean, good circumstances in that they inherited a good team and they have not run it off the rails, but tough circumstances in that they're the Astros and everyone hated them and a lot of people still do. And not only have they not added fuel to that fire, haven't had any additional scandals or anything, have more or less operated like a normal baseball team as far as we know, but they've kept winning and granted there was a, a great foundation there, but they have taken that foundation and they have built on it or they have made the most of it. They have not torn it down. They have just conducted business as usual and deflected at least some of the ire toward the Astros that was existing or, again, not fan the flames. And so Rosenthal Nightingale reporting here that Jim Crane could be considering changing both of them, potentially, hiring a new manager, maybe making a change with Click, seemingly because there's been some clashing that maybe Baker and Click have clashed a tad over Click's desire for a more analytical approach. I I suppose that is not surprising given their respective backgrounds and ages and and styles and everything. And that kind of thing has been dogging Dusty for so long, right? Like, oh, Dusty Baker, he's not like analytically oriented. And maybe he wasn't initially. He is an old school baseball guy, but I think he's gotten on board at least to the extent that he needs to i mean all the old narratives about him overworking pitchers and all of that that's out the window like he's done a a great job of breaking in all of these new homegrown pitchers that the astros have and, and handling them responsibly and whether he's fully on board with analytics and the language that that click speaks sabermetrically i don't know but You can't really argue with the results, like how much better could the Astros be (laughs) than they've been under Dusty Baker, not to mention the fact that just everyone loves Dusty Baker and his players seem to love Dusty Baker. So that's one possible clash, according to Rosenthal. And then the other one, the bigger one, seems to be between Crane and Click. So reading here from Rosenthal at The Athletic, Crane is difficult, demanding, and heavily involved in baseball operations, acting almost as an owner slash GM, et cetera, et cetera. Crane does not trust Click the way he trusted Jeff Luno. <laughs> How did that work out? <laughs> With whom he worked for eight seasons. Crane is also more inclined to act quickly and boldly than Click, who comes from the Rays, a more frugal, deliberate operation. None of Click's transactions has been particularly flashy. It goes on, but basically it it sounds like maybe Crane wants to meddle more than Click wants to, or he wants to do some things that Click doesn't want to do. And if this were to happen, it seems like it would be a huge self-own, just given how well things have gone for the Astros lately. And also the sort of message that would send to prospective replacements, right? If the message is that Crane wants to bring in his own person so he can basically be the boss and, and make moves himself. So the whole thing just seems wild. Like the notion that the Astros would need to win a World Series for James Click to keep his job or, or for Dusty to feel secure. I know they have assistant GM Pete Patilla around, who's kind of been the architect of their player development machine. 
I know people think highly of him, and for all I know, Crane has had his eye on him, but after everything that organization has gone through, and all the self-inflicted reputational damage, to think about kind of cleaning house after a 105-win season, from the outside at least, just seems really rash to me. Yeah, it's it's a strange set of circumstances because you would imagine there to be, you know, they've managed to have so much success, which suggests that even though there might be, you know, conflict or a difference in style or approach that those differences have prior to now been something that they could navigate with like with a fair amount of success, right? Like mm-hmm. I agree with you, I don't think Dusty tends to get the credit publicly for how his approach to the game has evolved over time. And that doesn't mean that he's like the most analytically inclined manager in baseball, but to think that he's the same guy he was at the beginning of his managerial career is to discount all that he's done in the time since then. So like there's that piece of it. I'm not maybe surprised that Crane in particular wants to exert more control. I remain surprised that owners of sports franchises are still operating under the assumption that like them being incredibly involved in the day in and day out of their front offices tends to be to the front office's benefit rather than detriment. Because <laughs> right. I think we have a lot of counterexamples that would indicate that that's not true. Yeah. So I guess it's just like you spend a lot of money on a baseball team. Maybe right. you're doing it as an investment. Also, maybe you just want to like enjoy having a baseball team. I mean, sure. it's odd because like there are some owners we might say it would be better if they were like into like the baseball team actually being good and and having a hand in it not that those things are necessarily (laughs) correlated or that one would cause another but a lot of them it seems like it is just an investment or they're very divorced from like how the baseball team does right i guess if you're a zillionaire and you buy a baseball team and you want to like be in the room and and have input and you're willing to like sacrifice your team's future (laughs) and just be like this is my bobble this is my play thing (laughs) you know like sorry front office sorry fans of this franchise i laid out a lot of cash on this thing and i just want to have fun with it and just like not leave it in mint condition and maybe like leave it dog-eared and and, like stained and broken but at least i will have fun playing with it and that's my prerogative because i own this thing I guess you get to do that, but it's not a great idea if you actually want your investment to do well. I mean, granted, your investment will be fine no matter what. Right. <laughs> but <laughs> beyond that, like if you want to be well-liked in your city, if you want your team to win, if you want the reflected glory that comes from that, that will probably not come from you doing things directly. Yeah, and that's not to say that like you don't have a role beyond just being the checkbook, right? Like, I think that it's, there are examples of owners who, you know, they set their teams up to succeed by hiring really good people, right? And being engaged with the strategy of the front office such that they understand the decisions they want to make and can operate as some kind of a like, you know, sanity check for the direction the franchise is taking, but generally are willing to acknowledge that like the things that put them in a position financially to own a baseball team probably aren't owning a baseball team, right? (laughs) Like they are where they are because of acumen and success in other fields. And so sometimes the best thing they can do is just get out of the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Here is the last thing. 
And this has been a, a happy podcast for the most part. I mean, pigs are flying and people are hitting 62 homers and the Braves are bunting and the Mariners and the Phillies are making the playoffs. But I just read at dictionary.com that they have added a couple of baseball terms Uh-oh. to that dictionary. Oh. <laughs> dictionary.com's post, which I will link to, says... This update is not just new entries. It also includes, as always, new and revised senses of existing words. And it takes pains to point out, let's set things straight. A word doesn't become a real word when we add it to the dictionary. It's actually the other way around. We add a word to the dictionary because it is a real word used by real people in the real world. And you, the real people in this real complicated world, have been busy generating a wildly diverse assortment of new words and new ways to use existing words for countless aspects of our modern life. As always, we've been keeping track. That's our job. The work of a dictionary is to document these changes. All right. One is good. One is bad. One is the worst. I don't know. (laughs) Okay. Number one. Otani rule is in the dictionary now. Okay. (laughs) Or at least in this dictionary. Noun, a rule that allows the pitcher to be assigned to the designated hitter spot in the batting order and to remain as the designated hitter even if replaced on the mound by another pitcher. Editor's note, the rule made official by Major League Baseball in 2022 is named for MLB phenom Shohei Otani, whose exceptional performance as both a pitcher and a hitter gave rise to it. Okay. Seems like sort of an esoteric term to be in the dictionary, but I guess there are a lot of esoteric terms in the dictionary. I guess it's nice that Shohei Otani is in there one way or another. Here's the next one. Ghost runner. Oh, no. Noun. A runner who is automatically placed on second base at the beginning of each half of an extra inning before any pitch <laughs> is thrown. But, Ben. <laughs> no. 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 But, I, I don't want this to be in the dictionary. But there, ghost runner means a different thing within the context of bat-to-ball sports. First of all, how is this not in the dictionary already? Yeah. This was a term. This was a, a fairly well-known yes. term in sports circles, which is why I constantly complain about us now changing the definition and cementing the definition in the actual dictionary. The wrong definition. <laughs> now... In fairness to the dictionary, I suppose, if the idea is that they are merely documenting the language, not passing judgment on it, I suppose they could say that this is how a lot of people are using it. People are saying ghost runner to mean the automatic runner, the zombie runner, the Manfred man, whatever you want to call it. There are probably more people, in my mind, erroneously labeling it the ghost runner than my preferred terms. So... If the dictionary's job is to chronicle the way that the language is used, but not even a, a second definition here that says, by the way, ghost runner was an existing term that was meant to, to denote a, a invisible placeholder right. when people played baseball or softball or whatever and didn't have enough runners to actually be on the bases. You'd have a ghost runner who would be imagined to be running around the bases and placed on the bases. No indication in this entry that this was a pre-existing term that is now newly applied or misapplied to a new rule. So this just seems like a, an incomplete definition at at best. There's no etymology here or or anything as far as I can see. Ah, origin of ghost runner, it says on dictionary.com. Oh, no. 
first used in 2020. No, that's just wrong. <laughs> per an amendment to the rules of play. No, that what is... What are you doing to me? That is not correct. Not at all correct. Ugh, this is paining me greatly. can't believe it. Ben. Ugh. We need to write a letter. Yeah. Like... They must not know. They must not listen to the podcast. I'm not saying zombie runner needs to be in the dictionary either. Oh, no, I'm saying that. You're not be, saying it. You're reasonable. I'm worked up. <laughs> I'm very worked up about this being in the dictionary the way that it is with absolutely no acknowledgement that this means and meant something else long before this new meaning came along. I know language evolves and maybe we'll have to get used to it. I hope that there will just be no more Zombie Runner, and then maybe they can just strike it from the dictionary at some point because we won't have to say it anymore, although I guess it'll still be used in exhibitions and the minors and international competition and so forth. But this is an absolute affront. The dictionary has been defiled as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, like, I look, I made my peace with some... Like, I made my peace with Irregardless, okay? I don't use it, but <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that, you know, language should evolve. I get it. I made my peace with that. I thought that, like, it was good to put Bootylicious in there. Sure. Because that's a word that people use, and mm-hmm. it's descriptive, and so it should be in there. But this yep. this feels like not doing your research. Yeah. And so I object. Yeah. This is, a, at best, incomplete at worst, misleading. It's cementing a term that should not be used in the first place in my mind, but at least acknowledge that there was a different meaning and that it has evolved or been misapplied. So I don't know. I, I hope someone from dictionary.com is, is listening. I can't imagine that they are or they would know all of this already if they had listened to any episode of Effectively Wild during this MLB season. But I am moved to perhaps make my voice heard in some way and contact the editors of Dictionary.com. I think you need to write a note. Yeah, this is an outrage. Yeah, you need to write a note. Well, on that outrageous note. (laughs) We're going to have to delete a lot of goofiness around Aaron Judge's home run in the Facebook group. I can already tell. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, no. Is there discourse about AL home run records? Of course there is, Ben. (laughs) Of course there is. But anyhow, that's not what you were going to say. You were going to transition to something else. Yeah, I was going to transition to the guest, but that made me remember that I first must transition to the Pass Blast. You must. Yes. This is episode 1911. The Pass Blast comes, as always, from Jacob Pomeranke of Sabre, executive editor, editorial director. I'm going to get his position right one of these days, I swear. He's in charge of editorial content there. He's also a Black Sox expert. He tweets from at Saber. He tweets himself from at Buck Weaver. And he writes, 1911, slobber ball. The spitball was one of many trick pitches employed by pitchers during the dead ball era. Pitchers loaded up the ball with all kinds of substances, both foreign and domestic, to make the ball dance, dip, and dive in all sorts of unpredictable ways. The greatest spitballer of all was Chicago White Sox ace Ed Walsh. On August 27, 1911, the future Hall of Famer threw his first and only no-hitter against Boston at Comiskey Park, and the Chicago Inter-Ocean couldn't hide its delight at his favorite pitch. Quote, Mr. Walsh slobberballed along, apparently without being conscious of the fact that he was perpetrating an event that history cannot possibly ignore. His flow of expectoration 
kept up round after round in a way that at once awed and inspired the public. He seemed to do it with so little effort that we wondered why he didn't pitch that kind of a game every time he wheels his battery of salivary glands in motion. Just to illustrate how easily he was working, Ed retired the side in the ninth inning after pitching only five balls, three wet and two dry, (laughs) which is interesting. I, I wonder if there was a spitball that was legal now would we be able to, to quantify that? Like on the Fangraphs pitch type usage tab, w- would we just have like spitball percentage? I guess we would, right? Yeah. Like you could you could probably tell from the movement and the general slobber ballness what was a, a spitball and what was not. So we would yeah. just have like a, a spitball percentage column and we would know what Ed Walsh's spitball rate was. Jacob concludes the spitball would remain legal in baseball for another decade, but by then Ed Walsh's arm had burned out probably because he averaged 375 innings per season between 1907 and 1912. I wonder how he slobbered so well. (laughs) How was his flow of expectoration kept up round after round in a way that it once awed and inspired the public? Like, how did he hydrate, I wonder? I don't know. Maybe he he had an early version of Gatorade. Yeah. He really must have had to, like, go to town between innings because I assume he couldn't lubricate during the inning. So he would have had to just saturate himself. With fluids just between innings, I suppose, in order to to maintain the flow. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Some people are just like spitters. You yeah, know? they have. They are. They are. Pos- <laughs> you know. <laughs> can, can just end there. Cut off that thought, probably. Well, but- I mean, maybe he, maybe he chewed. You know, maybe he mm-hmm. dipped, and mm-hmm. that gave him some, some, yeah, some extra. Ch- yeah. <laughs> got the juices flowing. Yeah, it got it going for him. Let's talk about mm-hmm. the big dumper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Director of editorial content. That is Jacob's title. I there will you go. To memory. All right. Yes. No one has hit any record breaking homers or unprecedented bunts or incorrect dictionary entries since I no. started that pass blast, I hope. No, the, the Mets are up on the Nationals 5 0 in the bottom of the first. So. Oh boy. You know, that's happening. Atlanta is up 2-1 on Miami in the bottom Mm -hmm. of the sixth. So that is a score update that will not be relevant (laughs) as you are listening to this episode. I will have an additional update in the outro for anyone who does not know where to find baseball scores, but does know where to find baseball podcasts, (laughs) the many of you out there. You never know. All right, let's take a quick break and we will be back with Jordan Schusterman of Sesame's Family Barbecue to talk about the Mariners and a little bit about the Phillies and playoff droughts in general and also fandom. They don't call him the Big Dumper, but he was there to witness the Big Dumper's glory. We are joined now by Jordan Schusterman, friend of the pod, member of Cespedes Family Barbecue, witnesser of the end of a historic drought. What an an intro, uh, Meg Rowley. (laughs) Let me tell you, I've gone much of my life 
without a nickname. I'm not someone with, with a nickname ever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if only I could be blessed with a nickname like Big Dumper and have it be shouted <laughs> to 40,000 people uh, by my drunk manager in the moments yeah. after hitting a walk off home run. <laughs> I don't think it fits you. I would not have no. chosen that name for you. No, it, no. <laughs> it does fit Cal. Tall oh, it sure does. Dumper, you could be the tall. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's good. really just a matter of. I just wanted to say that I just have a nickname, and it, it this the whole big dumper discourse has made me you know rethink and under understand and appreciate nicknames again. So <laughs> that's that's the only reason I wanted to comment on that. But it is so good to be with you guys. Yes. Do we actually know the origin story of the nickname? Because I've seen everyone just enjoying the mm-hmm. nickname. I haven't actually seen anyone explaining the nickname. I mean, it's very evocative. I could imagine yes. multiple <laughs> ways that this could have been coined. <laughs> Is it true that Jared Kelnick coined this nickname and that he he broke the news on Twitter when Cal Raleigh was was called up? That that certainly seems to be the the launching pad. I don't think this was like something that Kelnick was sitting on. And and decided like this is when the world gets to find out that this <laughs> the is what we all call him a bit, big dumper. <laughs> <laughs> my understanding is that it is something that he has at least uh, have vague similar nicknames to dating back to his days at Florida State, and I think that Mr. Kelnick decided to to just just share it. And and by the way, the tweet that you're referring to, I just need to say that the best part about that tweet is the emoji that accompanies it. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> by far. And, and honestly, if you're listening to this, go just go look up the tweet. I don't want to spoil it for you. And I want to explain an emoji on a podcast. <laughs> but just for, for your own sake, just go st- do your advanced Twitter search. Jerry Conley tweeted big dumper to the show when he was called up last year. <laughs> and you tweeting will... the official Mariners account. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And which, which, by the way, Jerry Conley does not tweet very much at all. Like, <laughs> no. he's, he's, I don't know how many, he's <laughs> probably has like three tweets. Since then, and that is one of them. So, in fact, I, honestly, I bet if you go to his Twitter account, you probably won't have to scroll back that far to find no, it. I will link to it on the show page. Yeah. But okay, great. Don't let it be said that Jared Kelnick has not fulfilled his prospect potential <laughs> yeah. or contributed to the Mariners over the past year plus because he gave us this nickname, or at least he brought it to our attention. Yes. I mean, really, though, like, is it the build? Or mm-hmm. yeah. is it the literal? Was there a big dump that that transpired? At some that's point? a great. That see, we don't well, know. Still. Isn't that the beauty of the nickname? I mean, yeah, truly, I guess maybe right? it's best not to know. Yeah, and I Either say the last way, thing on this, works. and then and uh, or maybe not the last thing on this. You know, so maybe we'll circle back <laughs> to big number, but it really is just the perfect level of nickname. Where like team, I, I actually had a kind. I'll just I'll say it. We're all in a good mood. The Mariners are in the postseason. You know, like I I talked to some people with the Mariners social, before, like before, literally before this game about the nickname, being like, where does this fall on the spectrum of like, can we use this or not? Sure. You know. And then Scott Service was just like, oh, we're doing it. So you know, <laughs> now now there's no turning back. And I, I'm I'm looking forward to you know still you know seeing some people discover this over the next uh, you know week plus. I mean, like, it is not unusual for catchers to be, you mm-hmm. know, possessed of Dumpy. a of <laughs> a of a good posterior. You know, mm-hmm. they're mm-hmm. squatting for three hours a oh, night yeah. every day, and so I don't know, like, if we were to make a study of it, I don't know where this falls <laughs> in terms of like 
it's uh it's dumperness above replacement dumper mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. i sure enjoy saying big dumper even though <laughs> i worry about there being children around when i do i'm like oh are there kids here are you gonna hear me talking about the big dumper but i don't know i think that after what he did like he just gets to have whatever nickname he wants. exactly exactly yeah. and and he seems to have uh, embraced it <laughs> right. as well i think it's kid friendly you could play it off yeah. as being about a dump truck or mm-hmm, something mm-hmm. who knows surely, kids love dump surely. trucks so yeah Exactly. Maybe enough about the nickname. I don't know that there can be enough about the nickname, but take us to the scene. Take (laughs) us to the moment. We all saw it. We all sensed the atmosphere from afar, but you were there. So we'll ask, I guess, about your origin story as a Mariners fan also. But first, just uh, take us back to Friday night. Yeah, we'll just we'll just zoom in there to the uh, to the bottom of the ninth. I mean, it was so first of all, as has the point has been made. God bless Jordan Lyles. I mean, there's really no one we should be thanking more uh, than Orioles veteran right-hander Jordan Lyles, who delivered the start of his life on Friday night against the Yankees to ensure that the Mariners would need a victory to Mm -hmm. clinch when we all attended. And that was great, right? I mean, sure, he, you know, maybe the Mariners, if if the Orioles had lost and everyone looked at their phones in the second inning and they're like, oh, hey, we guess... Guess the drought's over. All right, nice. <laughs> but instead, uh, to see that it, you know, they had to win, and then for that game to transpire, which, you know, Ty France gives an RBI double early in the game, and it's like, oh, well, it's the A's. Like the vibes are good. Mariners should win. You know, Kedwell chucks whatever fourth start. But then just both offenses just did nothing. And it went by really quickly. Yeah. And then suddenly it was the ninth and we're just looking around like, oh, my God, like, is this this is really what this could happen here after a, wa- a walk off the night before as well. Uh, and then and I'll just say, like, the, the three minutes from two and a half minutes from Matt Brash strikeout uh, to end the top of the ninth to Mitch Hanniger coming up to, to start the bottom of the ninth was just like. So loud, so surreal, so crazy, and then just you know the anxiety through the roof, and then yeah, I mean the home run. So so the funniest part about my uh, vantage point for the home run was I was down, I was like twenty rows behind home plate. And by the way, huge enormous shout out to fellow Mariners fan Day Schick who scooped me these tickets because <laughs> unexpectedly he was out of town and he was like, yeah, go, you should go. I'm like, all right, sure, sounds like a plan. Um, and I was behind the Mariners dugout on the right field line and the ball is hit down the right field line, right? Yep. And so I probably had the worst vantage point as far as knowing <laughs> fair or foul <laughs> of everyone else in the stadium. And so even Cal, you can see, right? He's trying to, you know, wave it fair too. But I probably, you know, started screaming about 0.04 seconds later than everybody else, I would say, because it just was, was that, it was hit that high as well. So yeah, no, it was, it was completely unbelievable. And I don't, I, I'll never see anything like that ever again. Uh, it's, it's really that simple. What a lot of anxious folks out here at the ballpark. 3-2 to Cal. The pitch from Acevedo. So he he hits the home run. It becomes evident to everyone that the Mariners have walked it off, that they have ended the drought. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, if you were like me and you were watching it on TV, there was, you know, a a great amount of of time spent like in the clubhouse after we got to see them with the goggles on and the champagne. But then like, then it stops, right? Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. you can only 
tax MLB TV for so long before <laughs> it says, I am tired and need to go to bed. But we are given to understand, as evidenced by your uh, photos that, and, and video, that the, the party lasted at T-Mobile seemingly for a while after that. What was the oh, yeah. what was the scene like after the the players and the coaching staff and everyone had sort of reemerged and taken the field ag- again? I guess is that uh-huh. is that an accurate timeline yes. of one of the better nights of, of your and my life? <laughs> well, I, can, can we can we do a quick aside that is just really only uh, that, oh, if if this wasn't this podcast, I would not mention this. But I cannot figure out what dictates when they cut off the MLB TV feed because sometimes they just keep the game the post game show going mm. yeah. and then other times it's like 3 seconds after the last out it's over and <laughs> right. they say thank you for watching and i can't yeah. yet to figure out what dictates that and so in this case this is why i'm really asking meg is like when did it cut off because to your point it was going for quite a while after, but I know that the service speech, I assume if you were watching like in Seattle on Root Sports that they were showing most of that, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know, candidly. Okay. I don't okay. know. <laughs> I okay. know that like at a certain point they had mm. talked to seemingly everyone in the clubhouse. Okay. And right. and then I can't remember now if it just was done or if I or if I was done, you know? Yes. It's very so, emotional. It's exhausting <laughs> to feel very feelings. True. So so key key detail there was the other first thing that I was thinking was wow I wish I could see and hear all these interviews in the in the you know champagne celebration in the clubhouse so they were showing some of it on the big screen but not with sound mm. and so but no one wanted to leave obviously so that you know lasts for a while they were in the clubhouse for a while but the the key detail here is that it was it was fireworks night and so Mariners uh, the Mariners my understanding is that for every fireworks night on Friday they let a bunch of like season ticket holders and like of certain fans onto the field for the fireworks now you know they still did that <laughs> and so there are a bunch of fans on the field and at first I was like oh that's like the players families and then you know, the players will maybe come out to them. But, like, it was clearly, like, a mix of players' families and then just a bunch of random fans that were fortunate enough to be in this situation where the players were going to be coming out with champagne. And then eventually that's what happened. And that's what kind of made that moment so cool once service and the players came out was that they were basically just, like, mingling amongst a bunch of lucky fans that were on the field. Uh, and then, of course, you know, they did the lap and, and did all that. And then and then service spoke. And yeah, that it probably lasted at least, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes before the fireworks even started. They still ultimately did the fireworks. But yeah, it was it was just total chaos. But, you know, everyone was it, it was the kind of thing that, that like didn't feel like it should have been possible. But like when you're in that good of a mood and it's not like security is going to suddenly start getting all, you know, fussy about it. But yeah, that that was kind of the best way to describe the scenes right after the fact. But the service speech in particular was was just so funny because I mean he was he was several beverages in. <laughs> <laughs> Meg, I'm sure the scene where you were was not quite as festive on a large scale, but I'm sure on a small scale it was sort of similar. So I, I have to ask what you were experiencing in that moment because I got that question from friend of the show Ben Gibbard, who was with us last week to talk about his Mariners anxiety, and this was the release of all of the anxiety and he was actually in New York playing a show on Friday and so I saw him this was I think 
as the Yankees were about to lose or just about, but the Mariners were just starting and he was going to get on his bus to go to his next tour stop. And I don't think I am betraying any confidences here because everyone knows he's a Mariners fan and also he is a famously sensitive songwriter who feels feelings. So (laughs) I got an email from him that just said, subject line, all caps, big dumper. (laughs) (laughs) And the email said, was Meg crying? I was crying. <laughs> I I did tear up a little bit, yeah. I didn't think I would. We've mm-hmm. joked we've joked on the pod over the last, I don't know, eighteen months that like in the beginning it was well the mariner should should make the postseason and see if they can make me cry. And that was like a joking thing. And then like I started to feel fan feeling in a in a renewed and sort of genuine way but i still didn't think i would cry but i did tear up a little bit it was just it was a piece of trivia that managed to find its way into non-baseball quarters of my life right like you'll watch i mean i don't know that either of you spend much time watching nfl football but like you would watch you know a national broadcast of a football game and if for some reason they had occasion to mention like the longest droughts in men's sports like here I am on a Sunday just watching some stupid football and all of a sudden I had to contemplate the like decades long failure (laughs) of the Mariners and so it feels very genuinely good to just not have that piece of trivia circulating in the same way and I think it's you know, it's good for the sport to have Seattle and Philadelphia in the in the postseason. Now we have to start like looking nervously at, I guess, Detroit. You know, they're coming up on what and eight the now? Angels. <laughs> and yeah, the, the Angels, Angels. <laughs> right? But we we can be done with these two particular monkeys on our on our backs, right? And so, yeah, I got I got emotional. I think it must be very strange for the guys who are playing for the Mariners now because. You know, with the exception of what, like Hanager and and Marco Gonzalez, like a lot of those guys are relatively new to the organization or they're new to the big leagues. Like this is in some like very important ways, like it wasn't their problem, right? Like this wasn't their drought in any kind of meaningful way. But that's not how working for a sports franchise works, right? Like you have to carry these things through generations of players and they didn't they didn't start it's like that, you know, like they, they didn't start the fire. We have to add a new a new verse <laughs> with a lot of Mariners players to that song. So it has to be very strange for them. So I'm happy for all of those guys. Like we all know people who work for the org, so I'm happy for all of them. But like I'm also happy for like my stepmom who gets to watch Mariners playoff baseball now and whatever happens like she gets to do that and that's really cool so it made me it made me feel feelings i was very excited i like found a sparkly drink to drink and felt (laughs) good about stuff made a joke about a basement murder room it was great good friday (laughs) well i love this renewed fandom for you yeah and Meg, of course, uh, comes by her Mariners fandom, honestly, whereas Jordan is just a a carpetbagger coming in Mm -hmm. from out of town, just boarded the bandwagon about a decade early, (laughs) lived through only half of the drought, knows nothing of the sorrow that everyone else has experienced. No, I'm kidding. Of course, you are a legitimate Mariners fan, as is anyone who declares themselves a Mariners fan, even if it's this season. But tell us a little bit about how you came to be a Mariners fan. 
Yeah. And I will say quickly on that, because I, I, I think about this all the time, right? It's like, wow. like, And I, and I sort of wrote about this at Fox Sports about how like, I, I can't, I, it's literally, I feel it half as much, if not, you know, a fraction more of, of, the, of the lifelong fans. But I will say it does feel a little good that my fandom basically stretches as long as the next longest drought, which is the Phillies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, even though I came in late, I still saw less postseason baseball than every other fan base over the last 10 years, <laughs> which is really funny. But yeah. yeah, so I mean, that's that's basically as, as, as far back as it goes is about, is about 2011, 2012. And, you know, the first step of that was was Felix Hernandez, who was my favorite pitcher by a lot. You know, I grew up outside uh, Washington, D.C. And, you know, the Nationals, the Nationals showed up when I was 10 and they were awful. And I wasn't even really that much of a baseball fan between the ages of like eight and 12. I know that sounds crazy for people who know anything about what I do now, but um, <laughs> that is true. They, baseball was like one of my favorite sports, but it wasn't clearly my favorite. And so the Nationals losing 100 games every year was not particularly compelling for me. But then once I was getting into baseball, just like fully, you know, full blown, like this is my favorite sport, you know, Felix just captivated me in a way that, that no other pitcher or player did. And, and his particular relationship with the city did, even though it was a city I'd never been to. And I loved staying up and watching the games. And then I started reading this guy. What was that guy's name? Uh, Lookout Landing. What was that guy? Oh, <laughs> Jeff. Right. Jeff Sullivan. We know him. Uh, I, started, <laughs> I started reading Jeff quite frequently. And then I was just like, wow, like I'm just now watching this team way more than I, any reasonable person living on this side of the country should. And then, you know, once Felix threw the perfect game, I was like, well, this is it. Here we go. We're, we're doing this, <laughs> even though they were terrible then. And, uh, you know, I remember very vividly one of my, besides the Felix perfect game, just, you know, reflecting on my Mariners fandom over the last 10 years, one of my most vivid memories is them signing Cano. Like that was very early yeah. in, my, in my freshman year. And like that, I was the first time when I was like, oh my God, like this is this could be the start of like a good team <laughs> and the number of iterations that have occurred uh, for them since then is, is obviously stunning and, and quite accomplishment of one Jerry DePoto. But yeah, you know, that's, it's hardly the, the amount of pain that, that those who have watched it for, for literally 20 years and, and longer have, but um, you know, I've, I've seen some stuff too. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. I think one of the things I'm the most excited about, like for the region is that there can be this entire generation of baseball fans who grow up with their, their formative experiences once more rooted in like a, a joyful interaction with baseball. Right. Cause like, yeah, like I hadn't seen a team that was playoff bound since I was in high school. Like I, you know, I was in high school when they were last in the postseason. But my formative memories of baseball are are largely really happy ones, right? They were around a good, a good Mariners team that I have at various times throughout my life kind of resented for being good <laughs> because who knows what I would have been spared emotionally if they hadn't hooked me early. But they did. And on balance, like I'm very grateful for liking the sport and engaging with the sport in the way that I do. But I am happy that there are just going to be like a bunch of little kids and not so little kids in Washington who like get their first real taste of, of baseball fandom for a team that is going to play a postseason series, even if it's one that isn't at home, you know, mm -hmm. should they not be able to advance to the division series. So I, I think that's very cool that you get to, have your fandom sort of rooted in in a joyful expression of the sport rather than like, well, <laughs> we're terrible again, but it'll yeah. make us, it's like, 
you know, we've had a lot of years of vegetables. It's good that people get to enjoy some dessert. Yeah. Also, it's funny you, you mentioned that because that just makes me think of the opposite experience for nine-year-old Yankees fans who have <laughs> grown fine. up and they're <laughs> like, oh man, like no, we fine. just we just never just never get it done. It's really <laughs> rough. <laughs> so, um, but but no, I totally agree. And, and that was that was very much felt just, you know, seeing the number of Julio Rodriguez jerseys yeah. of people of all ages at the park. It was it was really cool. Now that this drought has ended, can the Felix drought end as well? The the perfect game drought? Mm. Can, can we Ooh. release that one? Have yeah. the demons been exercised? You know, yeah. <sighs> that's yeah. a great that's a great point, right? Like, yeah. Because to me, so much of like I take the Felix Perfect game so because of everything I just described, like I do take that very personally. Like that is like even if it's goofy, like I am actively rooting against 95% of perfect game efforts. <laughs> <laughs> like like truly. Like and and we've talked before on our podcast about like the select group of guys where I would be like, oh yeah, that's fine. He can throw a perfect game. Right. Like if <laughs> like if Scherzer's gonna do it, what am I gonna say? Like, no, Max Scherzer doesn't you sorry, dude. You don't deserve it. But <laughs> when we have like the random, you know, back end starters like perfect through six, I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't I can't have that. But to your point, maybe that is the 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 karmic you know thing that needs to to reverse that. Now it's like you know what we can we can let it go, right? We can let yeah. it go. Don't need that anymore. You exactly. have something else. You exactly. have a playoff appearance, right? How do you think about success in this season, Jordan? Like, is everything after this just gravy now that they've broken through and are going to play postseason ball, or will you find yourself disappointed if they don't? <laughs> advance beyond the wild card like how are you measuring success for this club so first of all i think that it is already amazing and i know part of these last couple of days of the season is like the positioning and it's been incredible to me to watch and look who am i to judge other people's fandom and whatever but it's been amazing to me watch mariners fans of all people talk about like the easiest road to the world series it's like <laughs> i'm like like first of all, the notion of even watching them in the postseason, as I'm sure Mary, Mary, is is so inconceivable as far as stress and anxiety levels that oh, it's going to be terrible. It's going to be awful. It's going to be awful. <laughs> it's going to be terrible. And and people have asked me through during the season, like, oh, would you rather see them clinch or you know see their first home playoff game or their playoff? Game? I'm like, I don't want to watch them in the playoffs. That sounds awful. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, no, thank you. That's even that's even if, if you told me I can't be at the clinch, like watching them in the postseason sounds awful. So uh, to that point, I do genuinely say that. And, and, and of course, if they, you know, if when they get bounced, I, of course, it's not going to feel good. I do feel like this season in particular, it's all gravy. And part of the reason it's, it's easier to say that is because, you know, they, this, this core is really in place. And, and yes, there are going to be some, some changing pieces. Like, I, I really would still be surprised to see Haneker come back. Maybe it's yeah. more of like a qualifying offer situation. Like it's Jerry Depoto. Like names are going to change on the roster. Like we we know that. But especially with the Castillo extension, and obviously Julio, you know, speaks for himself. But a lot of these guys should be here. And especially when you look at the pitching, like it, it doesn't. It feels like the window is very much opening. And so I don't feel like the the urgency is there. But it also just you know it's, it feels like a special season, and you don't want it to end in, in two games. I mean, it's better than ending in potentially one game, right? If we sure. saw the one game uh, wild card, so that part's cool too. But I, I I do believe I do truly think that it's all gravy from here. Easy for me to say. I watched Cal Raleigh hit the walk off home run down the trap with my own eyes, <laughs> and so it's hard <laughs> to get. It would feel a little greedy uh, to to push any further than that. But yeah, mostly that's rooted in the fact that it does feel like they they're building something pretty sustainable moving forward. 
Yeah, we jokingly titled the the Gibbard podcast a movie script ending to the season. Now, that was not the actual ending to the season. It was just the end to the drought, but it did feel like a movie script ending to to the drought, at least just having the first ever pinch hit walk-off home run to clinch a playoff spot. I mean, come on. (laughs) It was great. It could have happened so many other ways. As you said, it could have happened in a very boring way where they (laughs) clinched through someone else's loss, and then it was kind of anticlimactic in a way. And instead, they got not only a win, not only a home game, but the most dramatic ending imaginable. So not that that makes up for the last 20 plus years, but that was a hell of a way to end it. Yeah, no, I I for sure. But, the, the, you know, that makes me think of, of Moneyball, how it's like when you watch it and it's like the they do the whole streak and then it's like, oh, wait. They, they lose, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, they that's not the end of the season. They they just lose to the yeah. twins. Like what? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, it obviously. is like even yeah. if it is all gravy, like it's it's kind of an intimidating playoff team in some ways. Mm-hmm. Like that rotation, even more so, maybe in a, a longer series than yeah. in a three game series. Like, yeah. they stack up pretty well. Yeah, and it's not a matter of thinking that they have no shot. In, in, yeah. in the postseason, it's more of just like I'm. I'm already so satisfied. Uh, again, like you know, they were 29 to 39. Like mm-hmm. they, this is in some ways they have clearly achieved what did not even seem possible. You know, 50, 60 games into the season. So uh, I do think that they, if I think they can be Toronto, I think they can be Cleveland, whatever. But as far as my enjoyment, which again will not be enjoyment because it will be watching my favorite team play postseason baseball, um, that's kind of that's kind of where I'm at with it. I can't wait! I can't wait for baseball Twitter to get to interact with both Mariners and Phillies Twitter in the oh postseason. At the it's, it's so true, right? Like think about think about this is a terrible way to put it. Well, obviously for the Mariners, but for the Phillies, right? Like think about how many more people are tweeting. <laughs> since the last time I mean literally everybody since the Mariners but um, <laughs> since the Phillies were in the postseason like I don't remember like I was let's see 20 oh no this is where you remind us how young you are <laughs> no, no, no 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 I'm not gonna say how, but I think I was on Twitter I think at Cespedes BBQ did not exist I can tell you that but I think I my first personal account uh rest in peace was did exist uh before the b- when the Phillies were last in the postseason but that's yeah. You're to what you just said, Meg. I, I I can't necessarily agree. I think it'll be a horrible thing for everyone else to have to experience. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> more it's, tweets is is never good. Yeah, it's never good for there to be more tweets. Gosh, are you gonna go to Toronto and or Cleveland possibly? Yeah. Uh, no, no. I mean, if it's Cleveland and it like gets the game three, I maybe. So those who don't know, I live in Eastern Indiana, so I'm only four hours away from Cleveland. Toronto, no, I, I don't. I don't think so. So. Again, like this is the other thing. Like, I people were asking me when 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 I was there this weekend. Like, oh, like you gotta come back. I'm like, no, man. Like, this is okay. Why am I getting greedy? Like, this is amazing. This has already worked out as well as I could. And so I'm. I I don't think I will do that. I will just be cuddled up on my couch, just cowering in, in anxiety. So it should be fun. Yeah, you know, because we have this expanded playoff field, which will mm-hmm. probably only continue to expand, mm-hmm. we probably won't have droughts anymore. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm mm-hmm. cursing some fan base without even knowing it now. I mean, it was improbable that the Mariners had a drought as long as they did, yeah. even with a, a smaller playoff field than the one we currently have. But 
we probably won't get that anymore. I mean, we will be just as likely to get World Series droughts and and championship droughts because, of course, lots of teams get in now, but each of them has a, a smaller chance than playoff teams in the past would have had. But it would be very unlikely with a, a 12-team format, let alone a 14 or whatever Rob Manfred dreams <laughs> of expanding into <laughs> in our nightmares and, and his happy dreams. You wouldn't think that you could go a decade or more. I mean, right. maybe. Maybe if you have right. terrible ownership that just doesn't invest at all and you don't get lucky with a really capable front office or just draft the, the perfect draft pick or whatever, like it could happen. But we probably won't get extended droughts of this length, of the Mariners' length, certainly. But even of the Phillies' length, I, I would think would be quite unlikely, even with this current format. Two thoughts on that. First of all, I think about 2020 a lot. And I don't know if you guys saw, there was like pandemic short. They didn't play baseball. It was really crazy, crazy season year in, in the world and history. But the, the, the really wildest part of 2020, just for the earth, was the Miami Marlins making the postseason. And yeah, that happened. That, yeah, had that not happened where the 31 and 29 Marlins made the postseason. And mm-hmm. they did beat the Cubs. We'll give them credit in that first you know goofy round. They would be the longest drought, right? Since 2003. Right. And yeah. also... Which in which they won the World Series. <laughs> and so I think about that season too because the Mariners were close that yeah. year. And I, w- at the time, I did not want yeah. them to make it. I was like so much like do not want this at all. Because even though in the moment we all felt it was goofy, like we wouldn't be talking about this drought right now, right? Even if they, you know, scooted in as the eighth seed and it, like that just, it, we would not be talking about it because that's just how we kept the records of that silly season. And so that is, I just, I'm just so thankful for that. But I also, to that point about what it is now, which is 12 teams, <laughs> there is also part of me that hopes they hang on for the second wild card so that <laughs> it at least feels like they would have, you know, earned it in the last time. <laughs> But but like 12 still feels a lot more reasonable than what 2020 was. Sure. I mean, we don't have to have a whole expanded playoffs discussion. I know I know Michael Bauman wrote about that, I think today, about just you know how big the postseason should be and whatnot. So but I just yeah, 2020, super glad they didn't make it. And I also sort of hope they hold on to the second one so people can't, you know, laugh at them. But whatever. Can't take the big dumper away from me. <laughs> <laughs> so you you said that you know you you don't want to get greedy mm-hmm. but like let's get greedy for a second mm, let's do it let's do it yeah. where would you prefer that the mariners and the big dumper ply their <sighs> trade in the wild card round give us your give us your takes well i will say right it's, it's just okay you're, you're you're picking between just to be the people that haven't been thinking about this nonstop for the last month the way that some <laughs> fans have been basically the the path is either don't do so well if they go to the wild the third wild card they drop the third wild card they play cleveland instead of toronto and then in the second round they would play the yankees instead of the astros which some people are deeming as a quote-unquote easier path now i know we all like to dunk on the al central and i i'm look i'm right there with you but I, the the disrespect for Cleveland, I've, I've started to get a little, feels a little bit ridiculous. Like people are, are treating Cleveland like they are uh, totally, you know, nothing. And also that like going to Yankee Stadium is just like, yeah, that's way better than Houston. But like that's a Mariners thing, right? Is it's just Houston's existence and just like kind of what they mean to Mariners is how, how much they just kind of have owned the Mariners over the last yeah. few years. So to me, like, yes, Cleveland is a better matchup, although Cleveland's bullpen is so much better than Toronto yeah. that I'm, I don't, I'm not sure that that really balances out. 
that's the thing. Like, I, I don't think the Guardians are a great team. I think they're a, a more fun team than a great yep. team and a good story. But I wouldn't really want to face them in a short series. I mean, yeah. you, you go into a three-game set with them and they throw Bieber and McKenzie at you. Yeah, exactly. And, and a great bullpen. Like, <laughs> that versus, goes south versus, really fast. Right. Versus Gossman and Manoa and a not-so-great bullpen. It's not yeah. a cakewalk either, but, right. I mean, you know, right. generally any playoff team probably can muster a, a good starter or two. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not all of them, but... I think it's just that, like, Toronto's lineup is just so much more fearsome yeah. <laughs> yeah. than yeah. Cleveland for so many ways. Like, in the series that, that Cleveland played against... And, and, you know, the Mariners won the season series against both Cleveland and Toronto. But, you know, the Cleveland's games, it felt like two kind of more similar teams where you have a couple offensive stars and then just pitching, right? Whereas Toronto, it, it just feels like a different kind of beast. And I think that that scares people more. But yeah. it's also so funny to me that people keep bringing up like, oh, don't want to play Houston in the next round. It's like, dude, it's, the, you know. Okay, let's go play Aaron Judge. Sounds like a good time. <laughs> well, I don't know. He's like not even going to break oh, a record maybe. He's kind of a bum. Only 61 home runs. Well, yeah. only those cowardly pitchers would really, you know, just, just lay one in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, So, yeah, I don't feel that strongly about it. I'm just happy they will be playing. Yeah, I'm happy for both of you and, and all the many Mariners fans out there. Happy that Julio's back and yeah. hopefully healthy. Mm-hmm. Sad that Sam Haggerty. Seems yeah. to be done for the year, but Julio being back is a, maybe a bigger boost than <laughs> losing Sam Haggerty is slightly. Oh, imagine, no shots at Sam Haggerty, but <laughs> Ben, imagine saying that in April, right? Oh, <laughs> last week of the season, like oh no, like, Julio's back good, but oh, down goes Sam Haggerty. I mean, right. how are they going to recover? But yeah. truly, he has been a real difference maker somehow. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's their he's their vroom vroom guy. You know, yes. everybody mm-hmm. needs a vroom vroom guy. Yeah. Now now Dylan Moore has to do extra vroom vroom. Yeah. <laughs> right. uh, hopefully he can he can you know you know carry the load. <laughs> well, thank you for uh, bringing us to the scene of the action and the big dumper. I could experience the elation through your words, and <laughs> people can experience the elation of your words on your podcast, which is back from the dead for the umpteenth time. You can't kill the Barbcast. <laughs> what is dead may never die. It will find a new home no matter what. So uh... tell people where they can find the, the new and possibly improved or at least not worse baseball mm, that's the spirit that's the spirit that's, <laughs> that's how endorsement we're, exactly that's how we've been trying to sell it um not worse so give us another just keep give us a try yeah uh baseball barbicast is has returned it is on the sirius xm podcast network which uh we are you know it was an arduous journey to return to uh, mlb podcasting but we did it just in time uh, mm-hmm. for, for all this excitement to happen. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's where we plan to be. And, you know, we're going twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays for sure. And then we're going to, we, we were just talking earlier about going a lot more frequently during the postseason. So be sure to subscribe on all of your podcast, uh, mm-hmm. or, or wherever I should say you get your podcast. Yes. Uh, which we could not say previously. So very excited <laughs> to say that again. And, uh, yeah, give us, give us a listen, read our work at, uh, at Fox Sports. If you want to read my, my words, if my words on here were not good enough, uh, you can go read them in a slightly different version on foxsports.com. So yeah, yeah, that's, that's it. But thank you guys. This was super fun. Yeah. Happy to have you back in the baseball podcasting space. And we will link to your written account of the clinching game as well. And yes, you can find 
Cespedes Barbecue, of course, on Twitter at Cespedes BBQ. You get Jake and Jordan there, and you get just Jordan on Twitter at J underscore Schusterman underscore. Don't forget the hanging underscore. Double underscore, baby. Let's do it. <laughs> Thank you, Jordan. Thank you both. And the Mariners knocking on the door to a playoff appearance for the first time since 2001. Here's the stretch. The 3-2 pitch, swing and a drive. Deep to right field. Stay fair. Holy smokes, he did it. Off the hit in air cafe. Cal Raleigh with a walk-off home run. How sweet it is. The Mariners end the 20-year drought on a walk-off home run by Cal Raleigh. They win the ball game 2-1, and the Mariners are going to the playoffs. All right. Well, I have an update for you to end this episode, which is that the postseason bracket is set. All of the matchup uncertainty is resolved. Atlanta won its game, so the NL East race is over. We also have wildcard clarity. So our matchups are Rays versus Guardians, Mariners versus Blue Jays. Winner of Rays and Guardians plays the Yankees. Winner of Mariners and Blue Jays plays the Astros. And then on the NL side, we have Phillies versus Cardinals, Padres versus Mets. Winner of Phillies Cardinals plays the Braves, and winner of Padres Mets plays the Dodgers. The excitement starts on Friday. Actually, the excitement has already started, but the playoffs start on Friday. One other quick follow-up. I read the other day a joking suggestion from someone who wrote in in response to our scenario in episode 1885 about the lowering mound, the descending mound that would slowly plunge the pitcher into the earth if they exceed their allotted time per the pitch clock. And we got a suggestion that maybe the slowly descending mound could quickly drop to protect pitchers from comebackers. And there was some physics and some calculations about how quickly the pitcher would drop Well, that response generated many responses, fact-checking some of the math in that joking email. So I'll read a couple. One was from Aaron, Patreon supporter, who said, I'm sure somebody has pointed this out already, but just in case, the guy at the end of episode 1910 who suggested lowering the mound very quickly so pitchers could avoid comebackers forgot to account for inertia. A pitcher freely standing on top of the mound, that is, not strapped to the ground, would only be able to fall at the rate of gravity on Earth, roughly 9.8 meters per second squared. If the mound fell faster, he would experience airtime as his body fell at a slower pace than the quickly lowering mound, thus mitigating the effect. This happens on drop towers at amusement parks. When they fall faster than gravity, the riders are thrown up into their restraints because their body is not accelerating downward as fast as the ride. I'm sure you had multiple people write in to point this out. We did. And I'm well aware his response was a ridiculous joke, but I figured I would write in anyway, as did Alana, Patreon supporter, who writes, In episode 1910, y'all discussed dropping the mound into a pit to protect pitchers from comebackers. As a former Physics 101 TA, I won't check all the math, but I'll point out that the fastest the pitcher could descend standing on a platform would be 1G, as any faster would see him free-falling above a platform pulled out from beneath him. This means the pitcher could potentially drop 10 feet in the 0.8 seconds between pitch release and return as comebacker, but just 2.5 feet in the 0.4 seconds from bat impact to ball return. Since the pitcher would be going almost 20 miles per hour at the end of his 10-foot fall and would need to be slowed down, I think we've arrived at our most logical destination, a The Prestige-style switcheroo where the pitcher's mound vanishes completely and drops him while a designated fielder pops up simultaneously ready to aid the team's defense. Since this operation would be happening hundreds of times per game, it probably makes more sense to have a pillow underneath instead of a water tank, if only to preserve the pitcher's grip on the ball. Good point, Alana. That would be a real slobber ball. 
after repeated plunges. And I deeply appreciate everyone who wrote in to say, I know that was just a joke, but... Oh, that reminds me, in that same outro, episode 1910, I believe, that was right after Shohei Otani's no-hit bid, I mentioned that there couldn't have been that many people rooting against Shohei Otani, that maybe even A's fans had been pulling for him to do it because he's so easy to root for, and what do the A's really have at stake? Well, I heard from some A's fans, including Brandon, who wrote in to say, in episode 1910, you mentioned that even A's fans might have been rooting for the Otani no-hitter because what else do we have to lose? Well, as an A's fan, I just wanted to let you know that we were definitely not rooting for the Otani no-hitter. The A's have the longest current streak for not being no-hit, dating back to July 13, 1991. The A's have literally never been no-hit in my lifetime. That's what's at stake. Please, this is all we have. <laughs> I'm sorry, Brandon, and I'm sorry, other A's fans, that that is all you have. And for misrepresenting your hypothetical views, I suppose that is an acceptable reason to root against Shohei Otani. Not that I would ever suggest such a thing. If there was ever a team that was almost asking to be no hit, it was the 2022 A's. But it didn't happen. Actually, it just goes to show how random the distribution of no hitters is that we've only had three this whole season, two of them combined, whereas last season we had a record-breaking nine, two of them combined. The league batting average isn't any higher this year. In fact, it's a point lower than it was last year. But not many no-nos, partially, as we discussed recently, because so many pitchers get pulled from no-hit attempts these days, most recently Luis Severino. Anyway, thanks for all the emails. I always learn a lot. And thanks to those of you who support Effectively Wild on Patreon, which you can do by going to patreon.com slash effectivelywild and signing up to pledge some monthly or yearly amount to help keep the podcast going, help us stay ad-free, and get yourself access to some perks. The following five listeners have already done so. Tyler B., Sean Taggart, Chris, Steve Patchen, and AA. Thanks to all of you. Patreon perks include access to the Effectively Wild Patreon Discord group, we're on the verge of passing 800 members. Really, you got to get in there before the postseason starts. I have a feeling the place is going to be hopping. You also get access to monthly bonus episodes, one of which Meg and I posted late last week. Plus, you get playoff live streams. Those are coming up this month, too. We do a couple of those. So if you want to get in on them, get in on the Patreon. And there are many more perks to peruse as well. You can contact me and Meg via email at podcast.fangrass.com or via the Patreon messaging system if you are a supporter. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash Effectively Wild, and you can rate, review, and subscribe to Effectively Wild on iTunes and Spotify and other podcast platforms. You can follow Effectively Wild on Twitter at EWPod, and you can find the Effectively Wild subreddit at r slash Effectively Wild. Thanks to Dylan Higgins for his editing and production assistance. We will be back with another episode soon. Talk to you then. Everybody's gonna pray on the very last day. Judgment Day